Welcome back to the Chicago Tomahawk. I'm Mike. I got my line mate Matt with me. And today we've got Jake Hahn guest starring on the show. We're going to go over some uh, some previous trends in hockey. What was going on before we hit, before we uh, we got to the Christmas, uh, I guess we could call it a shutdown. And what we can expect, uh, you know, going forward. Jake, how you been, man? I've been good. Good to uh, complete the line combo with you boys, right? You just said you and Matt, line mates, so it's nice to be the third person on the line. I think I'd like to think we, we make a pretty good line here. So it's been a weird time uh, in, in hockey and in the NHL, as you guys know, with all these games getting postponed and the season getting paused. But I'm I'm hopeful that we're starting to get out of it. We're starting to figure things out. And I do think more games are going to continue to get postponed, but hopefully nothing like what we've seen over the past week or so. Since we got you on the team, I'll move over to left wing. We'll have Matt at right wing, and we'll give you center because I know oh, that's where you like to play. Boys, that, boys. that is my spot. You guys are too, too, you guys are too generous. Uh, I'm in the blue paint, boys. I apologize. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, talking to your post, right? <laughs> so, Jake, um, you know, this has been an incredible season. You know, with, you know, COVID, you know, notwithstanding, there's been a lot of things that have happened. It started crazy. There's been... Um, there's been some some controversy. We've got teams underperforming, teams overperforming, uh, teams that were supposed to be juggernauts that are kind of just in the mix trying to make it for a playoff spot, uh, meaning Colorado. I believe they're in fourth in the central or something Islanders. like that. You know, it's um, it's pretty incredible, man. And me and Matt were talking in our last podcast how Nashville how they're such a boring team, but they're very effective with their system and, you know, kind of, I don't want to say wearing teams down, but maybe making them fall asleep and then they kind of wake the offense up to, uh, you know, win games two to one, you know, three to two in OT. How do you see Nashville going forward through the season? Yeah, well, I think they're they're a really interesting story. I'd say along with Anaheim and maybe for me, Calgary, they've been the, the biggest surprises co- coming out of that Western Conference. Now, there were some people that were maybe in on Calgary at the start of the season. I wasn't one of them, but they've been a great surprise. Anaheim's, I, Anaheim, I think, has been the biggest surprise as a team we thought might be a bottom three team, all of a sudden looking like a possible top 10 team and a playoff team. But Nashville would be right up there with Anaheim. For me, in terms of a of a surprise, I I wasn't buying it at all this year. I thought this was kind of the beginning of the end of the Preds from a few years ago that we saw make that run to the Stanley Cup final. And I looked at the roster; it just looks so stale. I, I'm thinking, man, where are goals going to come from on this roster? And you mentioned, you know, how they can lock things down; they can make things a little bit boring, lull you, lull you to sleep. And I completely agree with that. And that's been the Preds' mo for years. But even looking at their blue line going into this year, I thought. After Roman Yossi, it kind of leaves a lot to be desired. I, I don't know if they're even going to be that great defensively. So clearly they've found something that works for them. They've gone back to that old system of Predators hockey, and it's working. And they have had guys step up offensively to to fill a, a, a massive void, a massive hole in terms of scoring goals. And they're still not going to be the highest scoring team in the league, but they play so well defensively that it is conducive to winning. I, I have my concerns, though, guys, that they can keep this up all year. Like, they're second in the Central right now. It's a great start to the season. I think they hit the pause on a seven-game win streak as well. So they were probably one of the teams that really didn't want the season to stop because they were rolling. 
I'm not saying they're going to completely fall off the wagon and miss the playoffs or something, but I think second in the Central is a bit of a stretch for them. I I feel like that top battle is going to be between Colorado and Minnesota. Maybe another team sort of steps up there, and and maybe Nashville does hang around, but I feel like they're a a wild card team. They're a team that's still going to have to fight to make their playoff spot at the end of the year. That's how I kind of see it playing out for Nashville. I I still just look at that team, and uh, I struggle to think how they're going to score consistently over the rest of the season. You know, I look at the the Kings and I look at the Blackhawks, man, and and I see kind of two like kind of like two similar teams. You know, the Blackhawks they had a horrible start, I believe we were 09 and two, and um, and then after that we had a coaching change, and what we needed was a you know some defense instilled into the team, and we got it. And uh, since we've had Coach Derek King, he's been rolling, man. But there's one player I think that has really stood out on this team, and it's it's not Alex DeBrinket, who is who is definitely a standout on the team. It's uh, it's Brandon Hagel. Yeah, Brandon Hagel yeah. is, you know, he plays in all situations. He back checks. He's on the forecheck. He's in corners. You know, battling for pucks. He's setting up uh, setting up goals. He's scoring himself. You know, and I I just think the guy is like a force to be reckoned with right now. The Blackhawks have um have really turned it around, man. Fleury is playing much better than he did at the beginning of the season. Lankinen is definitely trying to find his stride. Fleury's in COVID protocol right now, so we called up uh, Colin Delia from from Rockford. So he's more than likely going to be backstopping Lincoln until Mark Andre Fleury comes back. But how do you see the Blackhawks progressing through this season as they have really made some changes and plugged some really big holes that needed to be plugged? Well, as soon as you said the words most noticeable uh, Blackhawk, I knew you were going to go uh, to Brandon Hagel. He, he's been the most consistent player, and I think it was one of you guys that brought him up uh, early in the season when I joined joined you guys as, as someone to kind of look out for. And I've been watching him closely, and he is, to me, the most consistent Blackhawks forward. I mean, outside of a, a Patrick Kane, we, we all know how great Patrick Kane is, and, and we know how good Dabrinkit is as well. But kind of the rest of these guys, I mean, Hagel brings it on a nightly basis. And even though it's not there with the goals and the assists every single game, the work ethic is there. He frees up space. He frees up pucks for other skill guys on the team. So I really like his game. I, I think he's a heck of a hockey player. Uh, so that's a positive for Chicago. And look, if you take away that start to the season, and you can't obviously take it away, those games count the same as any other game. But if we if we sort of just look past that and we look at the stretch of games from that point to where we are right now, I think they've actually played some pretty decent hockey. It's still a little bit inconsistent, and they've had a tough time really stringing a bunch of wins together. And if they were ever going to get back in a playoff conversation, I think they would have had to go on one of those long extended win streaks. But I think the rest of the season for them is sort of building up some of these younger players, seeing what you have in the system, you know, sort of taking a look around the room and and assessing what you have and and then uh, going into the offseason and making moves based on on what you think you have and possibly what you think you need to, to take that next step and get better. So for me, that's what it's about for the Blackhawks. I think if there was any really chance for them to get back into this, they're probably going to have to rhyme off, you know, seven, six, seven, maybe eight wins in a row, like we've seen some some teams do. So I don't think you can completely rule it out. Uh, but I, I do believe the rest of the season is just about seeing what you have in this organization. What's your take on the Kings, uh, you know, kind of going forward? I, lo- I really like the Kings a lot going into this year. And I think... 
based on what I've seen, and I actually picked them as sort of a dark horse team to make the playoffs when we did our predictions at the start of the year. And I, I think I've, for the most part, I've really liked what I've seen from LA. Like I'm not expecting them to be a cup team right out of the gates, but hovering around NHL 500 right now, hovering around a playoff spot. I think if you asked me at the start of the year, I, I would have certainly taken that with my prediction uh, of the Kings. And uh, you continue to see some of their younger players develop and I, they still have the, the cupboard stocked. And I think a couple of their young players are actually getting a shot now with some of the COVID issues that they have going through that team. But I think they're a great mix of youth and 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 older players of experienced players and that's a mix i think as early as next year that could really uh show results i, I think for the kings if you get these young kids some experience you blend them with a kopitar and a dowdy and a dustin brown and some of these players i think that's a team that could make some noise so i i kind of still have my eye on the kings maybe not so much this year as a team that can make some noise but possibly in in the next season as a team to watch out for now i know you're in toronto so i can't I can't hold this off any longer. How is the beat on the street for the Maple Leafs? It's positive. And I, I, I might have been early in the season when I talked to you guys, and it was sort of doom and gloom because the season started like shaky, but it really wasn't even that bad. They were just around 500, but the expectations are so high for this team every regular season. And I think, I think there was a lot of angst based on the way that last year ended. You blow the 3-1 lead in a series you should have won against the Montreal Canadiens. And I think the fan base over the past few years has turned from excited, building up this team with all these great young players and a, one of the better players in the game in Austin Matthews to now frustration and, and sometimes anger at the organization for not being able to get it done. So when they got off to that bad start, I think that you could really feel it in the fan base that, oh, okay, you know, is, is what they're doing not good enough? Are we ever going to see results here? Things have clearly settled down and Honestly, they look like a different team this year. I They look like a team that's a lot more committed to defense, which is something that they haven't been in the past. And the style of hockey that they're playing right now this year is a style of hockey I think will work wonders in the playoffs. The only question for them is, are they going to play like that in the playoffs? Are they going to be able to step up and compete when it matters most and when the pressure gets ramped up? And I highly doubt they're going to get an easy matchup in the playoffs. It's going, going to be a Florida or a Tampa Bay or one of these teams. So it won't be uh, as easy of a, a task as it should have been last year against the Montreal Canadiens. But all in all, everyone seems excited about the way that the, the Leafs are playing right now. And they should be because they, they've really been playing some great hockey this year. Do you think that, you know, obviously playing in Toronto is like playing, you know, nowhere else with the expectations and the pressure. Do you think that mm-hmm. that pressure would be you know, somewhat insurmountable again for, say, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner if they don't score in game one? Well, yeah, and I, I think that that's the that's the issue here, right, is the pressure builds up more so for them, I think, than anybody else, and also the situation that they're in, all the first-round losses that they've had. You know, the second that something doesn't go wrong, either the doubt creeps into the player's mind or they're getting asked questions after the game about, you know, if it's going to happen again. There's there's just nowhere to hide in that market, especially come playoff time. So it's almost like they need to get off to a good start in the series. They need to feel something positive. But then even if they get off to the good start, guys, it's like, let's just envision them up 3-1 in whatever first round matchup they have this year they're going to be asked the question, you know, how do you close this out? You know, you didn't close it out last year. You didn't close it out in previous years. How do you do it this time? So I think until the final buzzer of that fourth win in the first round, there's going to be immense pressure on this team. And on the other side of the coin, I think if they do get through that first round, if they win it, if they that kind of pressure comes off their shoulders just to know, okay, we, can't, we don't have to answer that question anymore, and we did win a round of playoff hockey – 
it could work in a, in a major positive way for them. And you could see them actually go on a run because talent wise, I, I think they're as good as any team in the NHL. It's just a matter of putting it all together in the playoffs and, and maybe some things finally going their way. If I was, if I was running the organization, I would be trying to figure out a way to, uh, to make sure that there's no media availability for, uh, for Austin Matthews and <laughs> yeah. Mitch Marner for the entire first round. <laughs> go ahead, Matt. Well, since we're kind of into that Toronto pressure thing, what do you think about Freddie Anderson in Carolina? Yeah, for, for, Freddie Anderson's been great there in Carolina, and I that felt like a, a marriage that was really going to work. It just, and I said this about Carolina many times on the show uh, that I do this year, and they just feel like they built such a, a great culture there in, in Carolina with Rod Brendamore behind the bench. It, it just feels like whoever puts on that Jersey is going to have success and they're going to buy into what they're doing. A prime example, uh, you know, some COVID issues ran through that team. Like a lot of teams are dealing with right now. And this was right before we hit the pause button. So the week before Christmas, they had a couple games where they, they had nobody in the lineup. Like Aho's out, uh, Svechnikov's out. All of their top players are out. Blue liners are out. And they, they're icing this really thin roster that kind of looks like an American Hockey League team. And they dominate their two games. Not only do they win their two games, but they just look totally dominant. And I think that speaks to the culture that's been put in place in Carolina. And it just, no matter what, they're going to come forth. They're going to give a good effort. They're not going to use excuses. They were actually one of the teams when the COVID issues were going on that said they wanted to play. They wanted to keep playing, even though they had positive cases. They didn't want to stop their season. And they said, yeah, we got enough guys here. We can roll and we can continue to win. So I really think that speaks to where that team is at, the confidence that that team has right now. And I just think that that exudes through to Freddie Anderson at the goal tending position. And he's way more insulated on Carolina than he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I do think that the pressure of the Toronto market did get to him a little bit. And playing in a place like Carolina much more similar to what he would have experienced in Anaheim where he could just kind of go out there and 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 play. It's not uh you know a nothing hockey market. They're they're hungry in Carolina. They've they have a rabid fan base, but it's it's nothing like what he experienced when he was with Toronto. So I, I think the fact that he can just go out there and, and play his games, play his position makes a huge difference. I believe Calgary had about eight players on the COVID protocol uh, COVID protocol at one point. Do you think yeah. that it would be a good idea, especially for a team like them? I mean, they were just running over teams, man. And and they were doing it in a way where, you know, nobody was really expecting it. Do you think that we should keep the taxi squad for, say, the remainder of the season? I, I, I think it's a possibility. I mean, I think you absolutely have to look at that. But it, again, you, you know, this whole COVID situation is so fluid. We don't know where we're going to be in a week. We don't know where we're going to be in a month or two months. So we could get to a point in the season, later in the regular season, where you don't necessarily need it anymore because players aren't testing positive. And I, I hope that's where we get to. That would be great. But uh, there's no guarantees of that. So if we, I, I think it's just something that the league is going to have to monitor and possibly continue to push that date back, uh, the use uh, of the taxi squad. If we continue to have COVID issues into next month and beyond, then yeah, you're going to have to extend that, that taxi squad. And I, I think just in general, that's a nice thing for teams to be able to have, 
even just put, putting COVID off to the side, like looking at the the general injuries that teams get throughout the course of a season, I, I think it's nice to have that uh, just in case. The only problem with the taxi squad is you've got players sitting there uh, who could be playing on the American Hockey League that aren't playing, and they're just sort of sitting on a taxi squad. So you don't want those players to just sort of waste away, sit there not playing any hockey whatsoever. And I think that's the the one issue with the taxi squad, that those guys would rather be playing somewhere uh, than just be sitting on a taxi squad. 100%. You know, actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because we have guys like Colin Delia who are playing really, really well in the AHL. They get brought up to the taxi squad and they're kind of sitting there for, you know, maybe like a yeah. month or so, you know, and then they come into an NHL game completely cold and then they get blown out for like, you know, five to one or something like that. Um, moving forward, do you think that, you know, just, just players in general are, you know, maybe, you know, getting frustrated with, you know, COVID protocol and then having to come back because, you know, obviously some people have a different experience with it. You know, a lot of guys are are having some pretty good experiences with it, you know, not major symptoms. Then other dudes are like, you know, um, I don't know how you expect me to skate, you know, after I just yeah. had, had COVID. I wonder, you know, like... Um, how do you think that teams can move forward with, say, Mitch Marner going down with severe post-COVID symptoms? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a you know, case-by-case basis with, with some of these guys. And I, it, there really is no blanket statement that you can make for all of them. I, I think the player has to come forward and be comfortable with saying you know, what, what he's dealing with in that specific instance. I mean, if, you're, if you don't feel like you can be 100% and you can't, play at an NHL level because you had a bad belt with COVID, I, you need to speak up and, and say that and say, hey, I need some extra time. And I, I like to think that most teams around the league would certainly be understanding of that in saying, you know, we, we, we would rather have a guy that's at 100%, that's hungry, that's ready to go, than maybe one of our top players who's at 60%, 70% and is still trying to battle his way back. So I, I think that that's kind of how it is. And, you know, so many of these guys are asymptomatic. They're not showing any signs. Uh, they're not sick, you know, really whatsoever. So I think for those guys, it's really easy for them. They're they're probably just hungry to get back in the lineup. They're sitting in their room, quarantine, uh, in a quarantine, just waiting to get back on the ice, and they can't wait. Uh, but obviously, in, in some situations, it is going to run through guys pretty tough. And I, I just think teams need to, to take their time with those players. Go ahead, Matt. Okay, well, I just want to jump to one team real quick, which I feel stupid for picking them to win the cup this year. And I know a lot of people did, actually. Uh, the Islanders. So what the heck is going on, and what are they going to do? Well, if you want to take them to win the cup still, Matt, you can get them at 100-1-plus, to 1 plus, I think, now at this point. So they're, they're... The Blues did it a couple of years ago, and exactly. somebody got rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And actually, uh, Boomer, who I do the show with, he took the Blues that year. It wasn't 100-1, to 1, but he got them at some point in the season. They ended up going on and uh, winning the Stanley Cup that year. So you're right. It, it does happen. Uh, you know, We have seen teams rally. Look, they're 26 games into the season right now for the Isles. It's an 82-game season. There's a lot of games left for them to possibly go on a run. The only issue for the Islanders and them possibly getting back into this is the is how we've seen that Metropolitan Division take shape so far. So Carolina's really good. Uh, one of the top teams in the NHL. Washington's having an awesome season as well. The Rangers are having a great season. Even when they weren't necessarily playing well early in the year, they were still rhyming off wins. And now Pittsburgh's on an incredible run without uh, some of their best players in the lineup. So 
we've seen some separation in the metro between four, which is Pittsburgh, and between five, which is Columbus, of 10 points already. And then the Islanders are way down there, even below the, the Columbuses and Philly yeah, and New Jersey. 22. So, yep. Yeah, so the gap is just so large between the Islanders and where a possible playoff spot would be in that metro that that's difficult. So not only do you need the Islanders to go on a run, possibly rhyme off, seven, eight wins in a row, which I, I think the Islanders are capable of when they're healthy and they start to roll. But you're going to need one of those four teams to maybe struggle a little bit and come back to the pack. So they're going to need some help, uh, I think, to get back into this thing. I still believe in, in what they've built there, uh, but they just have not looked like themselves all year. And some of that's injury-related. Some of that's COVID-related. Some of that's related to the, the crazy road trip that they had to go on yeah, to start yeah. the season. I, I just think that the issue now, uh, Matt, for the Islanders long-term is they are a, kind of an older team. You look at their roster, you look at some of the contracts that they have, this is a, a bit of an older squad. It's not like a young team that is just sort of getting started and rebuilding. These last couple years, they had good chances to win the Stanley Cup, and they came close both years. And I, I felt like going into this year was another great year for them to take a run at it. So if it ends up being a wasted season and they miss the playoffs, that's tough uh, You know, during this period of Islanders hockey because I think you've built a team that wants to win right now, and then we're going to have to start to ask questions uh, go going into next year and beyond what the window looks like for this team and, and how long they can be that cup contender didn't they have like a 14 game or 15 game yep. road trip that they had to yeah. go on to at the beginning of the season that's it incredible wasn't, it wasn't that bad either they finished what like two under 500 was yeah it? or I'm not, yeah they I'm did not, it or sure they did a good job treading water for the most part i think the road trip just ended poorly i i believe at one point uh, they were going through it, and they were either right around 500 or or actually over 500. Uh, but I think their last few games, there was like Minnesota, Tampa, Florida in there, and they just got railroaded by these teams. Yeah. Like, it was just ugly, ugly. Uh, and then they obviously got into some some injuries and some COVID issues as well. And now they haven't been able to win at home. That's that's also been a major issue uh, for the New York Islanders. So I don't know if this break will, will help them. You know, if you can look at it and say, okay, we just need a reset, take a breath, get some of these guys back and we know we're going to have a lot of home games on the back end this year but it's it's going to take a miraculous run I, I think for them to get back into it this year okay well i'm gonna jump over back to uh, the blackhawks here um i gotta start with the guy in net obviously uh flurry what do you think the hawks should do do you think they should keep them to the end of the season or you know get the highest bidder for you know like say like a team like edmonton who needs an experienced goalie for a playoff run if they even make it? Because I know they've been playing poorly too. But do you think the Hawks should um, try to get some assets for them? Well, I, I'd like to get your guys' take on this one uh, as well when I'm done. But I, I, I do think that they should look at it. I think you'd be silly to at least not consider it. Now, if the price isn't right, if you don't feel like you're getting a fair return for Marc Andre Fleury, then I, I can completely understand that. But I think you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the future of the team to. Uh, to at least look at those moves. Because if you get a desperate team like in Edmonton, I think Edmonton's a, a perfect example here of a team that could be in the market for a goaltender. If you get a desperate team that wants to make that move to maybe push them over the edge, they could send you a pretty good package back. And if you're the Blackhawks, I, I think you, you have to be looking at that. You have to still be looking at the future as good as, as Marc-Andre Fleury is. So that's where I would stand on it. But, but what do you guys think on that one? Yeah, I'll take Dreisaitl for him. That's fine. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> there we go. that's it? You want, you want McDavid I, as well? I know they won't give us McDavid, but I'll try to get Dreisaitl. The German Gretzky, I'll, I'll take him. 
<laughs> or maybe Darnell Nurse to you know to play hey, forty five minutes a game. I'll throw you Dylan Strom. You I know you, I know you were tough on Dylan Strom, but this year he he well since the coaching changes, I think he's taken a turn for the the better. Well, you know the wild card with Mark Andre Fleury was when he came to the Blackhawks and when he initially uh, spoke with Stan Bowman at the beginning of the season was he wanted his word that he wouldn't trade him during the season. And the reason that he wanted that was so that his family could be, you know, comfortable in Chicago and he doesn't have to worry about relocating and moving again. I think what it really comes down to with Marc-Andre Fleury is, does he want to... Does he want to leave and does he want to chase another cup? Maybe he just wants to play hockey and uh, and and play for you know for a decent team that that really needs him. Yeah, Edmonton needs him, but Chicago really fit that mold of him coming in as mentor for a season. He, you know, his family gets some security, not having to move around, and then he could decide you know whether he wants to play again or uh, whether he wants to retire. So I think it kind of falls down on him. I don't know if the new GM, Kyle Davidson, would honor that agreement that he made with Stan Bowman, but I would generally say that um, in hockey, you know, it, I think that it's a pretty big thing that guys keep their word or, you know, these these kind of, you know, handshake deals are are honored. I think that he would do that. Yeah, that's it. That, that's it. That's interesting with uh, with Marc-Andre Fleury. I, I just think and he's such a big name, too. Right. Like to right. bring him in. Uh, for an organization that, that's trying to push it over the edge. And we know what he's done in the playoffs in the past. We know he has experience in, in big games. That's an enticing piece for, for a team out there that thinks they might just be uh, a goaltender away. So I'm curious. Yeah, and that and that's just a good side of it to bring up, right? Because we talk about it from the hockey aspect, but talking about it from the human side of things, Marc-Andre Fleury himself, you know, would he rather just stay in Chicago or does he want to go compete for another Stanley Cup somewhere else? You'd have to think at his age, at what, 37 years old right now, that he would probably like to take any chance he can get to, to go and compete for another Stanley Cup. What do you think, yeah, Matt? I yeah, I, I think Fleury is just a competitor, man. I think even if he got a chance to go back to Pittsburgh and play, I think he would honestly do it. And I wouldn't blame him for it because I wouldn't want to miss the playoffs. He, bar- I don't even think he's missed the playoffs in like the last six years, maybe more than that. So I, I would, if I'm him, I, I, I want to compete in the Stanley Cup playoffs for sure. Go ahead and take over, Matt. Okay. Um, yeah, I got a question from our friends, uh, the Puckheads. Good guys. Uh, they're from Calgary. Uh, their question is, after missing out on big forwards like Eichel and Stone in the past few years and no real big additions other than Markstrom, which who, who's tearing it up right now, uh, how and what does Brad Treliving need to do to help this team take the mm-hmm. next step? That's a, that's a good question, actually. Um, and, and, you know, looking at Calgary... I mean, well, they didn't do anything in the offseason, and they've been able to to really rebound this year, and I think a lot of that has to be attributed to Daryl Sutter and, and the players themselves, too, buying into to Daryl Sutter. I, I look at this roster, and I still think they need a bit more depth in terms of scoring if they want to, to be pushed over the edge and they want to win come playoff time. I think they've established that they can be a, a really good defensive team. The goaltending, to me, is fine, and, and you know the high-end talent is there to uh, an extent 
extend, but I think they could just use a little bit more depth. And I, I feel like they tried to bring that in um, and, and maybe they still have it in the system. Um, you know, bringing in a guy like Blake Coleman, that was like, that was really their big move was to bring him in. And offensively, he just really hasn't been there for them this season. So maybe it's as simple as him breaking out offensively in the second half of the season. And that could almost be uh, your addition. But I, I do think that they're going to need a bit more in terms of scoring, in terms of depth uh, up and down that lineup for them to, to really be taken seriously. But it, it just feels like with the, the roster that they have, you look at it on paper and they play, to me, over their heads. They, they play better than what that roster uh, says on paper. And, and to me, that's, that speaks to a team that's really bought into uh, what Daryl Sutter's selling. Very interesting. Okay, this question is actually my question. It's kind of a question too, but it's a lot of a lot of things I see on Twitter. I'm sure you laugh at too. There is so much hate for Seth Jones right now. I just mm-hmm. don't understand it. He's I I mean I think since he's come here, he's been good, very good, and I think he's is an all star in my opinion. There's a lot of people that just hate him because of the contract he signed. But do you think he is an NHL top defenseman in this league? Well, and look, I, I think that's the problem with the, the era that we're in, the cap era that we're in with the NHL. You just said it right there. A lot of people don't like him because of the contract that he signed. And I think that that's something that has happened in hockey for years now, ever, you know, ever since we really moved to this hard salary cap where you know, fans, uh, you know, everybody that talks hockey kind of bases their opinions off of players based on their mo- the money they're making and not just actually looking at the player for what the player is. So they're always compared to the contract and the yep. money that they're making. If there was no salary cap, I don't even think any of us would care what these players are making. We'd be having this conversation. I, I don't, might not even know what Seth Jones is making, but in a cap world, we're always crunching the numbers. We're always seeing, you know, how teams can get money off the books and whatever it might be. So um, I, I think that that's a, an important conversation, just a broad conversation. But in terms of his play this year, I think he's been he's been really, really good. And, um, you know, is he worth that kind of money? I, I guess that's up for debate. And most people would probably err on the side that he's not quite worth that dollar figure but i in terms of what the the blackhawks have been getting from him this year i I just don't think there's too many defensemen like him out there that can log those kind of minutes uh that can play the way that that he can and offensively i believe he's on pace for a career year offensively which is is really good for him because he had some big years in columbus when our our temi panarin was there so Mm -hmm. by all accounts to me he's been a, a I'd say a pleasant surprise because I, I, I wasn't nuts about the contract when it was signed, but I, I think that he's, you know, at least come close to, to living up to that big number for the Hawks. Here, let's talk about big numbers. The <laughs> uh, Something me and Matt have talked at length about, <laughs> you know, Jack Hughes has scored a little over 60 points in three seasons and just mm. got a contract for $8.5 yeah. a year. How do you think that this contract completely muddies the water for future contracts for players like, say, Kirby Doc. Yeah, well, this one was really interesting because we know, uh, you know, how, how highly touted Jack Hughes was going first overall, you know, the excitement around this player. I think the knocks on him are the fact that he's a bit undersized, that he's a bit small. He's already been through a couple of injuries early in his career, so there's the question marks that maybe he's possibly a bit injury-prone at the NHL level, which are, are totally understandable. It, it's a bet, it, it really is a bet for New Jersey. New Jersey is betting 
on him being a high-end player in a few years. And if that bet comes through, they're going to be looking really smart here. And they, we might look at this, you know, four years from now and look at the number that Jack uh, Hughes is making and think, wow, they got an absolute steal on this player. Now it could go the other direction. It's just how far in the other direction is it going to go? Like how bad would Jack Hughes have to be for that contract to look bad on New Jersey? And I just don't... I just don't see him being that bad of a player. Even if he doesn't pan out to being a, you know, the legit first overall stud uh, like they were hoping, you're still going to have him under contract. He's still an NHL player. So uh, again, I, I kind of weigh the good with the bad here for New Jersey. And I actually don't mind it as much as most people do because I think if the bet pays off, you're looking really smart. If the bet fails... I don't think it's going to look horrible on you or totally crush the organization unless he gets some sort of career-ending injury, which you obviously can't see coming. So I do think that it is going to affect future contracts because teams might look at this as uh, you know a path to, to maybe getting a guy locked up at a shorter uh, dollar figure on the AAV, but on a longer term. Now, players, I, I, sometimes I wonder why they sign these deals because I'm thinking, man, if you want to bet on yourself, the cap continues to go up. You can cash it year in and year out, but these guys want to be locked up. They want that sort of job security and they don't want to have to go back to the table year in and year out and negotiate contracts, which I can I can also understand. But I, I do think a contract like that raises some ears around the league and, and you know raises some eyes eyes as well to, to see, okay, that's, that's an interesting one. And uh, now we're going to wait and see how it plays out for the devils you know the dream is to get that uh that mlb contract you know where you get that 150 million dollar seven year deal and then you can just ride out the ir for the next six years because yeah. they're going to get paid regardless you know i i want the rick di pietro contract <laughs> yeah is i want the bob, paid? i want the Probably. bobby Bonilla contract <laughs> i think he is i think it's like he what did he sign like a 14 year deal and he only played <laughs> there ridiculous. like three years or something yeah well, the, yeah, those the, so, some of these deals are, are are silly when it comes to that, and and I, I think too the Jack Hughes deal is just so interesting because he's a good young player, and you know I said this at at the time when it's fine, like how bad would Jack Hughes have to be for this contract to look terrible on New Jersey? He'd probably have to be hurt and out of the league because even if he's not that top line player, what's he going to be playing on your like second line center or something like that? So he's always going to be compared to where he got drafted. But I, I just don't think that even if uh, even if he doesn't pan out to be that that first overall type player, that I think he's still an NHL player no matter what. And that, that I don't think that I don't think this is one that will come back to totally crush the Devils. Is really what it, I'm trying to say. It might haunt us with Kirby Doc because I think Kirby Doc's a better player than him. Maybe the numbers aren't there, but the injuries yeah. were bad for Kirby. But I think Kirby's got more skill than him, and I'm hoping his agents like, oh well, we're gonna just compare to to a Jack Hughes because well, I think he was drafted yeah. third, just one behind. A, who was the second pick in that draft? Was it? I know it was Hughes and then Doc at third, and then Bo Byram was four, right? So those those players are going to want some money. Yes, and, and Doc's actually looked, I don't know, you know, you guys could probably speak to this even better than I can, but I, I feel like he's looked great the past few weeks before we hit the pause on the season. Not that he wasn't looking great before, but I, I feel like he, he'd really taken a step. You know what the problem with the problem with Doc and and you know you, you look at Jack Hughes and he's he's got flashy skill and Doc his skill isn't necessarily flashy but he's I would probably say a, a well-rounded hockey player considering considering his age 
And he's just going to keep on developing, considering his size as well. You know, he's not going to be one of those players where you kind of have to worry about Jack Hughes, where is he going to, you know, get hit in the boards today and and, and get another shoulder injury? Because, you know, shoulder injuries yeah. can be very, very, how do you say, um, really... I mean, it changes everything. You know, you could be nursing that shoulder. You don't want to get it dislocated again. I've dislocated my shoulder. And afterwards, you know, it's not the same. And you wonder how that will affect a small player like Jack Hughes. Yes. Yes, you do. And and again, like, are you afraid to go into the corners now? I'm, and look, I'm not saying that's the case for Jack Hughes. But if once you accumulate so many injuries, like, are you a little bit more tentative? Does that take away some of the tenacity? And to play at this level, you need all of those uh, sorts of intangibles. So I hope that doesn't become the case with him. From what I've seen, it's it's not. I still see Jack Hughes, uh, you know, the same as, as when he came in, into the league, but who knows what the future is going to hold for him. The, the only problem for me with the deal and just for him in general, is I just haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen him pop mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm watching a Devils game and I'm thinking, man, this guy is just a, a future star. We've seen it in a couple of flashes, but the consistency just really hasn't been there. So it's a bet for New Jersey, no doubt. But like I said, we could be looking back four or five years if Jack Hughes has that breakout season and thinking, oh, yeah, the, the Devils were right on this one. And, and now they're looking pretty smart for it. You know, this could, you know, all this is also a conversation for other, you know, maybe smaller um, you know, smaller type players or maybe even injury prone players uh, early in their in their careers is that, you know, it seems to be an increase of guys like laying out other guys. You know, slew foots are are really up. I don't even remember even talking about slew foots very often uh, the yeah. last season, and it seems like there's like a general kind of disrespect in a way uh, or lack of respect, I should say amongst players playing, you know, and I wonder if these things are going to take into account in, you know, in, in say guys like Jack Hughes going forward, you know, it's like, how hard do you want to play when you've got PK out there uh, getting ready to slew foot you, you know, and next team. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to worry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, what I'm saying is that, I mean, he's, a PK slew footing everybody in sight, you know, he, slew ban. you, yep. you know, slew ban, you know, he, you know, yeah. uh, Jack Hughes could be collateral damage one day, you or know, Jacob Truba can just run him through the glass. Yeah. Just because, yeah. uh, you know, just because, you know, he had his head down. And I think that, you know, for players, you know, this could be an issue, you know, how hard can you play when you've got other guys that are playing dirty? Yeah, and the whole Slewfoot thing, too, has been kind of out of control. Obviously, Slewban is leading the charge here, and we've seen a couple of, of other of other instances. And, you know, the, the league in general, too, with hitting and, and trying to get hitting from behind and headshots and all that out of the game, I think it's a little bit difficult for defenders now. I think when you're going, you know, not to defend anything that, that PK has done, I, I think a couple of those have actually been really, really dirty. But it's difficult that, you know, you're trying to figure out what to do when you're defending these highly skilled players. You don't want to drill them into the boards from behind, but you got to find a way to take the, the puck from them. So I think it's becoming increasingly difficult for defenders to, to make a play either with the body uh, or with the stick. So they have to be a, a bit more careful uh, with it, but you know, we've seen it happen to some of these younger players. I mean, you talk about Slewfoots. one of them happened to Trevor Zegras or, you know, early in the year and he just popped right up, and I, and I think Jack Hughes had one uh, kind of similar as well, and he just popped right back up as well. So uh, these kids seem to be handling it just fine, but it, it's certainly something that, uh, that that we need to watch out for. 
Well, Jake, man, it's been a pleasure. You know, we love talking to you. We love having you on here. You know, it's uh, it's it's always fun to talk hockey and, and get into it. We're going to have you on yeah. again next month, you know, barring any, you know, if, if the NHL plays any games within now yes, or next month. Let's hope so. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you for jumping uh, jumping on with us, man, and and coming on. Yeah. Uh, always a pleasure, boys. Always great talking to you. And, and yeah, let's hope next time we talk, We've got plenty of uh, of more NHL hockey to talk about, and we're not just repeating the same uh, the same standings that we're talking about right now. Let's hope there's let's hope there's a shift in the standings, whether it's good or bad. All right, man. All right, everybody. Yeah. This is a Tomahawk, and we're out of here.